Cinema needs to use images. In the novel, you have the whole interior monologue. Fantasies show us Isabel's sexuality, which is repressed and complicated and relevant to the film. Part of it is being attracted to the wrong man, knowing it's the wrong person, and convincing yourself it's the right person. That's why the I'm absolutely in love with you and the black and white montage in the middle is necessary to show her interior struggle. Those are words from actress Nicole Kidman on Jane Campion's 1996 film, Portrait of a Lady. Seeing Faces in Movies is a podcast where each month I focus on the works of a different director or cinematographer. And each week I invite a guest on to discuss the film and the artist's filmography. I'm your host, Felicia Maroney. Today we're talking about The Portrait of a Lady. So quick synopsis of the film is, an American girl inherits a fortune and falls into a misguided relationship with a gentleman confidence artist whose true nature, including a barb and covetous disposition, turns her life into a nightmare. The film stars Nicole Kidman as Isabel Archer, John Malkovich as Gilbert Osmond, Barbara Hershey as Madame Serena Merle, Mary Louise Parker as Henrietta Stackpole, and Martin Donovan as Ralph Touche. It's written by Laura Jones, based on the novel by Henry James, cinematography by Stuart Dryberg, directed by Jane Campion, edited by Veronica Jeanette, and music by Wojciech Killer. Today, my guest is Jamila Brown, and you should recognize her from our episode on Fanny and Alexander for my Bergman month. I highly recommend people go back and listen to that episode. Uh, if you haven't seen the film or the television series, it's a great opportunity to do so and listen to the conversation and you can learn more about Jamila. But first and foremost, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to have you back. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you. Uh, since the last time we spoke, you now have your own podcast, Read and Peep. You released your first episode. Do you want to tell the listeners a bit about you know, how that came about and what the premise of the podcast is? Yeah. Um, so my friend Heather and I, we just talk about books all the time. Sometimes we talk about films and um, sometimes we compare them. So we just mm -hmm. thought it would be a good idea to have a podcast where we read a book and we watch the adaptation after and we just compare them, you know, for fun, not really like, oh, this is better. Just, yeah, I guess we just kind of want to like figure out what makes a good adaptation and and watch a lot of movies and read a lot of books. <laughs> That's cool. I love that. That's a really cool concept. Do you have like a cadence that you're adhering to or you're trying to figure it out seeing as you have to read the book too? Uh, I guess we're just trying to do it uh, at least release one a month, I guess, just because, you know, reading takes a while. I'm in school now, too. Um, we both have our own hobbies, <laughs> our own lives. Yeah. So we're just like, yeah, once a month, we'll get something out. So we did a Christmas carol last month because uh, it was Christmas. And uh, we decided that we would, uh, which is kind of different. Well, I mean, we're just getting started. But normally, uh, we weren't going to do as many novelizations. This is kind of weird. It's kind of a novelization, and it's also kind of a sequel. We're going to watch Heat first, and then oh. read Heat 2. Wow. Uh, just because it's my birthday month, and I really love that mm -hmm. movie. And I really wanted to introduce it to Heather. And I'm really liking the book so far. <laughs> oh, yeah? Okay, I haven't read it yet. That sounds really cool. I mean, any excuse to watch Heat uh, I'm honestly for, yeah so <laughs> i'm excited for that i'm looking forward to hear the episode we're here to talk about portrait of a lady but before we get into that as i said before for the listeners um if you want to hear more about jamila's start and you know watching films go back and listen to the fanny and alexander episode instead i'm going to ask her to recommend a couple of movies that she's watched in the past couple of weeks months that she thinks that we should add to our watch list. Okay. Yeah. So for new releases, I just saw The Iron Claw. That's a okay. really good one. Especially for people who are new to wrestling. Um, you're gonna be really mm -hmm. surprised by that. Really some really good camera work in that film as well. So, and then also Godzilla minus one. That blew me away. I saw Charade for the first time. <laughs> I didn't know it was gonna be that good. Um it so is that's a, <laughs> Yeah, that's an older one that I wish I saw a long time ago. I was kind of watching and I was like, wow, I love Audrey Hepburn so much in this role. And it's kind of mm -hmm. ridiculous to me that I feel like 
her most iconic role is the Holly Golightie from um, Rent Visit Tiffany. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is so much better. And she's so great with Cary Grant. And I just love it so much. And then also, I think people should check out, watch the Gordon Parks documentary. It's called Half Past Autumn. Um, it's really good. I don't know okay. where you can watch it. I think I had a link from my photography teacher. And okay. um I got it. I watched it on like Vimeo. And um, it's just really good. It's really insightful. It teaches you a lot about his life, his legacy. He's just done so much, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's what I've watched in really the past year, honestly. Yeah, those are those are good. I, the Gordon Parks one I haven't watched yet, but I have liked everything I've seen of his. Uh, but I'm still like pretty new to his work. So I'd like to watch more of his stuff. And the newer films... I'm sure you know I haven't seen them yet, but they're on my list. The Aaron Clive I've been hearing a lot about, uh, and I know everyone loved the Godzilla movie, so that one eventually, but Aaron Clive for sure want to watch that one. So in terms of the the portrait of a lady, do you recall the, the first time you watched this film and what your thoughts were on that watch? Yeah, I think I watched it for the first time last year. I don't really know... How I stumbled across it, I don't know. Sometimes I'll just look at uh, the homepage for my Fire TV and uh, Mm -hmm. a trailer will play and I'll be like, oh, this looks like something I'd like and I'll watch it. And that's probably what happened. I don't know. I don't think I was dumb enough to confuse it with (laughs) the portrait of a lady on fire, but maybe that's the case. (laughs) And um, maybe I also was like, oh, it's a Jane Campion movie I've never seen. Mm I've never seen one by her before. I've never seen the piano until recently. And I was like, oh, well, I should check this out. I love Nicole Kidman. I love the vibes of this. And yeah, I just decided to watch it. And I thought it was good. I really like these kind of prestige films, these period films. It's just my vibe. And uh, I liked it. I was kind of perplexed by some of the reviews I was seeing and the um, yeah. reception. I was like, okay, it's not... Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but this is pretty good. I guess I had forgotten a lot about it. And I, I think this came up. <laughs> I was on Twitter and I was like, oh, yeah, what are <laughs> the best kisses on film? And so I guess my takeaway from this film was, oh, this there was a really good kiss in this movie. And, and that's how you came to me of us maybe discussing this for your yeah. Jean Campion month. And I guess that was my takeaway because I completely forgot so much of this movie i started Mm -hmm. it and i was literally like am i watching the right movie (laughs) i don't remember i don't remember there being you know these disembodied voices talking about kissing and all that and montages of women you know posing and dancing around i don't remember all these all of these uh artistic flourishes but you know, mm-hmm. um, I guess I just remembered, oh, yeah, there was this really great kiss in this movie. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> that, that's, I mean, that's something, at least. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, the the opening I definitely want to talk about because I found that interesting for, because I was watching this for the first time. And just when I put it on, I was like, wait, is this the right movie? Because I thought this is a right. period piece. <laughs> So we can talk about that when we talk about the other uh, artistic choices Mm -hmm. that happened in the film. But yeah, it had just been one of the last Campion films that I hadn't seen. And it's definitely one that people don't talk about as much because Mm -hmm. I I know it was a big kind of flop when it came out. And it hasn't really been reappraised yet. I don't know if it ever will, but I had a good time with it. So I'm excited to talk about it and Jane yeah. Campion's work on it. I guess the first thing I want to chat about is, have you have you read this book, the Henry James novel? You know what? When I first saw it, I was like, I need to read this book. I need to read some Henry James because I haven't. And yeah, I just really wanted to know what the differences were because I, like, mm-hmm. I feel like we don't get enough of Isabel's character fleshed out. And I feel mm-hmm. like they want us to believe, you know, she's this independent woman. She's so liberated. She's so American. She's so different. And I feel mm-hmm. like we arrive at a point where it's just like, 
she's just crying throughout the whole entire movie and she just seems so sad and so dependent and I'm like you're telling us something but it's not really coming across so I wanted to read the book and I wanted to read it before we spoke about it but um (laughs) just Christmas and New Year's and yeah I never got around to it I started it and I think I am going to finally read it this year. So yeah, I I haven't read it either, and I definitely want to because there's a type of novels I tend to gravitate towards. But I know in doing my research for this that this novel was known as being like really difficult to adapt, and that's why no one's really done it. And mm-hmm. watching interviews with the cast and reading interviews with Jane and the writer. They were saying there's so much internal dialogue, obviously, in the book, and you learn so much more about Isabel, because as you would mm-hmm. with the book versus a film, you're never going to, They it was hard to fully get the audience to believe how independent she was. I right. think the casting of Nicole Kidman is good, because I think, I mean, I, this is in the 90s, she's still, she's already big at this point, but she's not the Nicole we know now, where I would just be like, yeah, Nicole's an independent woman. <laughs> like, I would mm-hmm. believe her yeah. in that role, <laughs> as opposed to maybe another actress. So I think that has it going for it. But you, you, she starts off being like, no, I want to do my own thing. I'm not going to get married. And then it's like, um, you fell for this man pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. You fell for John Malkovich a little too quickly for my liking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, well, at least we're on the same boat uh, in terms of not necessarily knowing all of the, the differences between the novel and the film. Uh, what I found interesting, because I'm going into this really not knowing the story at all, was the the relationships between the women in this film. Because mm-hmm. we think about all the men who are in love with her but she has pretty strong relationships whether good or bad with the women around her and i know that that's that's a common theme in campion's work she always has women at the forefront and they often have very strong relationships with women so we've got the barbara hershey character who mm-hmm. is a strong relationship but it's not a good one and then we get uh, henrietta who's played by mary louise parker who's a good friend mm-hmm. of hers just the dynamics between the three of them and how they influence her or don't influence her. From any other, you know, Campion films that you've watched versus this one, how do you feel about the the dynamics between the women in this film with such a like a male-centric storyline that happens through this? All right. So I only watched the piano yesterday. Mm-hmm. My thoughts are really Good. fresh on that. Um, I've actually seen that show i believe that she either produced and directed oh, yeah. or wrote top of, the um, lake. The top of the lake which uh starred uh elizabeth moss yes okay i did like that um okay. and obviously i could tell from all of those but especially i think top of the lake how much she uh draws on these themes of womanhood i didn't see that a lot in like the piano maybe Maybe I'm seeing that wrong because um, it's mostly just it's mostly just Holly Hunter and her daughter. Um, yeah. She's kind of doesn't really have any kind of sisterhood with the other woman. But yeah, I, no, I definitely I see. I didn't really think about that with this movie. You know, I just kind of thought about her suitors and how they're all different. I, maybe it's because I found Henrietta so annoying. <laughs> she really was. <laughs> she was so annoying. It was weird. It was like she was her friend, but it was, it was more like she was like her gay best friend who was just like, yeah. you have to marry this man. I'm like, aren't you super independent and stuff? Why are you trying to marry your friend off? Just let her alone. But I loved Barbie Barbara Hershey's character. She was kind of like this foil to her. Kind of like, you know, I guess we're supposed to believe that at one point, she was more like Isabel. She was more innocent, and she had mm-hmm. all these ambitions. She was obviously a pianist, but because somehow she met John Malkovich's character, and he ruined her, just like he ruined Isabel, she became this woman, uh, which I thought was interesting, especially that line she says at the end. She's like, Isabel asks her, what have you to do with me? She tells her, I have everything to do with you. And of course, we're supposed to believe it's because, you know, she hatched the scheme so mm-hmm. that they could get her money to support Pansy, I guess, eventually, or just support their own lifestyle. But also because she sees herself 
in her and she sees how she could corrupt her, yeah. which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I found her probably to be the most interesting character in the film because mm-hmm. right off the bat, you see the admiration Isabel has for her and mm-hmm. you think it's a mutual admiration. And I think to some extent it probably is but when she starts hatching the scheme you're like oh i wasn't expecting at least i wasn't expecting it to go that route and then when she kind of you know retracts and starts regretting that you're just wondering what made her make that decision until you find out about her and pansy but i just remember being like it looks like she's just passing down the trauma that she was like on her onto this other character because she doesn't know how to do anything else so it's just a really interesting dynamic and i guess the reason why i bring up the the uh relationships between the women is because i think maybe i don't know if they were not as strong in the book and if they were kind of pumped up a bit more for the the film and i only think that because of the opening scene that we kind of touched Mm -hmm. on earlier and how it's just like all these modern women modern for mm-hmm. the 90s and <laughs> i know <laughs> it kind of reads and i say this with love like a tampax commercial they're all kind of dancing around <laughs> with the <laughs> like carrying their tampaxes they're not their tampax they're walkmans <laughs> it was just so i was like what's going on like i didn't hate it i liked it but at first i was like wait is this the right movie that i'm watching because what's this voiceover? And then when you listen to it, they're talking about, you know, the different ways to love and the different ways they felt loved. And I was like, oh, this is a really interesting way to open this movie. And then uh-huh. all of a sudden you... Especially when you, like, watch it and you're like, oh, okay. Which yeah. case is it referring to? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's not until after the film's done that you can appreciate the opening where you're like, okay, I see what you're doing here. But it's definitely an interesting way to open a movie. Another thing I want to talk about, obviously, is Isabel and all the men that surround her. But before that, you know, we've talked about how Isabel is very much on the wavelength. She's saying, I want to live my life. I want to live a life before I settle which is totally fair, but obviously it was a rare thing at that time. Unfortunately, it's still probably rare enough for a woman to decline a proposal from a very rich person to say, I just want to travel for a bit. So how, you knowing that this is written by a man and not that a man can't write a feminist character, but do you read Isabel in this film as a feminist character, noting that feminism is a broad term and it's different for everyone, but in your you know, what your definition of feminism, do you find her to be a feminist? I mean, it's a a type of feminist character. It's -hmm. it's kind of a bourgeois feminist character. It's like, oh, I'm not going to marry. I'm going to like travel. Well, lucky you. (laughs) Like, And this is like, you know, before, like she didn't have plans to travel before she became rich, you know, before her uncle left her all her money but even then she was like i don't know like i i almost laughed i had to rewatch this twice and when i rewatched it the second time i was like oh okay i'm kind of seeing the issues people have of it because i kind of wanted to laugh when she's talking to her dying uncle she's like i am just so upset that i have been proposed to so many times like I can understand if they're making you marry those men, but like, do you yeah. want them to like not have an interest in you? <laughs> like, isn't that kind of like something that's good during that time? I mean, you didn't have many other choices. And then like, this is what I'm saying. Like maybe in the book, she had some sort of ambitions that were described, but we mm-hmm. never really find out like what exactly does she want to be independent for? Even with Barbara Hershey's character, she obviously was a pianist you know she had that yeah like what is isabel about what does she want besides some vague greatness Mm -hmm. so i guess in that way it is a very it is a very kind of white uh yeah uh (laughs) thing going on here which is you know is probably good for the time yeah i think it's interesting that you say because i agree with literally everything you said it's interesting the concept like what is the end game Okay, you mm-hmm. travel and there you can just want to travel. You could be like, I want to do all these things for whatever reason. I want to go 
see these parts of the world. But then what happens once you're done traveling? Or is that just what you want to do for the rest of your life? And I get that she's young enough that she just maybe doesn't actually know, but it's just a level of her privilege to just be like, well, I don't need to know. I'm just going to do it and I'll find out (laughs) once I get there. It is interesting to me to have that sort of character because that's not something we see often, obviously, of a woman just kind of being hounded by all these men who are like good looking enough men and they are genuine and they're not marrying her for her money because she didn't have the money at that point, you know? So the dynamic there of just having that choice. But yeah, it's always, it's also funny because I, again, don't know how big a lot of these actors might've been then, like Viggo Mortensen. Now we all know, I don't know how known he was in the nineties and even like Christian Bale, he shows up like this cast is pretty stacked. There's a lot of people in this cast. It is crazy. Like, it seems like, like it was like the Oppenheimer of the time. Like everybody, (laughs) both Shelley's were in it. Shelley Winters, Shelley Duvall. (laughs) I know. I, when Shelley Duvall popped up, I almost screamed. I was like, oh my God, Shelley. I did not know she was in it. It's so funny to see. And then even Richard E. Grant as being mm-hmm. the first suitor and he's just so sweet all the men are very yeah. sweet and nice well apart from well. eventual husband <laughs> apart from him but yeah it's interesting to have a story like that and the choices she makes through this but then she eventually gets seduced by gilbert who is mm-hmm. an artist he's got a daughter and he has a previous relationship with barbara hershey's character that we obviously know of but isabel doesn't we don't even know the full extent right off the bat i want to talk about the relationship between him and his daughter because i was really found it i've really found it off-putting his relationship with him and his daughter and i assume that's obviously the point she's been put in a convent because he doesn't want her to you know face temptations of the world and You know, sometimes he has her at home, but whenever he, you know, she falls in love with a guy and he's like, you got to go back to the convent. And she's very much like tied to her father because that's who raised her. She didn't have a mother. But the physical closeness of them really made me uncomfortable. I don't know how you felt about their relationship. Yeah, she was like always like in his lap and he was touching on her. And yeah, yeah, the way he spoke about her was weird. (laughs) He was very much obsessed with her virtue and her you know pleasing him yeah he basically wanted her to be as pure as possible and she was not allowed to have her own thoughts or emotions of her own which is such a weird thing to me because he is not that artists can't be like this but you would just assume someone who seems so free in his own life and is obviously making money off of being an artist would have a more liberated mindset and he is very repressive you know in that way and you see that he treated he treats the women in his life that way because he obviously hates women right the whole thing what i find interesting and sad is that she ends up with the one man who's obviously the worst to her and you can't help but feel for her and you're hoping she gets out of this situation as soon as possible and i think it's interesting the way that they paced that because it seems quick the way they got together but then there's a bit of time lapse in between years that have gone by and Mm -hmm. the performance that nicole puts on you can see the wear and tear like in her face as she they've been together longer it's just really depressing to see that and the men coming in and out of her life you know to check in on her and see what's going on and she seems like a very loved person but she is pushing people away i don't know if you read it that way at all she just seems to want to do things on her own without any help but clearly needs help yeah i mean i wish i feel like there wasn't much of a progression because she starts off the movie that way. And, you know, it just seems like her eyes are bloodshot the whole entire time. <laughs> but I definitely noticed it, um, especially on the second watch with her wardrobe. One thing mm. I noticed was that her wardrobe starts to look more like, what was Barbara Hershey's character name? Madame Merle, Serena Merle. Merle. 
And so it's almost, yeah, like they're kind of like grooming her to become like Mm -hmm. her. You know, even uh, Gilbert tries to get her in on this scheme to set Pansy up with Richard E. Grant's character. And it's like, why couldn't you just do that on on your own? Because he liked the idea of of making Nicole Kidman's character even more like him and yeah. and like Madame Merle. He likes the idea of corrupting women. It's exactly that. I'm glad that you brought that up because I think she even says it to him. I was like, why couldn't you just do this on your your own? Like you didn't need to involve me at all. Because obviously it would be weird for her to have a previous suitor, like trying hook up a previous suitor with a teenager. I don't know how, I can't remember how old the pansy is in this. No, she's yeah. like a late teenager, early 20s. And especially because at that point, we're getting more scenes with the Christian Bale character and we see how in love they are. It's really heartbreaking their final scene, the final scene with him where he's, you know, basically begging for her <laughs> and they just have to like run he away essentially. His bibelots. Yeah, oh god. Yeah, little baby Christian Bale. What a cast. I just, every time I think about it, I'm just like, I can't believe. Right. Such a huge cast in this movie. I want to talk about those, I don't know if if experimental is the best word, but those scenes that are different than the rest of the Uh film visually. There's a couple that stand out. One is like the fantasy kind of love scene between her Mm -hmm. and two of the men. Uh, That one I liked a lot. That I thought was great. And I think that's the first time I saw Isabel really feel comfortable and be honest with herself because I think she obviously wants to be loved, but she's just pushing back on it. And I found that to be an interesting (laughs) scene visually. Uh, It's very 90s too. (laughs) That's the fade outs uh, that happened (laughs) in it. But I thought it was a very visually appealing scene that that worked at that time in the movie how did you feel about that scene so this is the one where she's in her bedroom and she has all all her suitors yeah Mm -hmm. i liked it i liked it but also i felt like it was very modern and it didn't make sense as far as like obviously it's like like a metaphorical and like we're supposed Mm -hmm. to believe this is what she's fantasizing about but at the time would she even be able to conceive of fantasies like that like yeah she has no sense of sexuality at all (laughs) you know when john malkovich kisses her she has no idea what's going on she has no idea how to move her (laughs) like are we really to believe that she would be having this fantasy of this thruple which i feel like is is a lot of issues that uh people have with the film as a whole like it already is a sort of feminist novel. And Mm. so I can understand people feeling like some of the flourishes are like a little bit too on the nose and they're a little bit too modern. And it kind of takes away from what is already like a really progressive tech. But I did Mm -hmm. like it. I I thought it was interesting. No, I think that's fair. Like it it can seem, even with the opening scene, it can seem a bit Mm -hmm. heavy handed. I don't want to put words in obviously Jane's mouth. It maybe was like, she wants to make sure the audience knows that she's coming at this from a feminist perspective because some people might read it in any way. But I think without those things, it's, as you said, already a feminist text because, you know, you have this man writing this character who in the book is even more independent than she is in the film. And that in itself is more progressive than you would get from other writers of the time, mm-hmm. let alone from men. So. It can be a bit heavy-handed. I still like the how weird it is, but <laughs> I definitely <laughs> can see why people would be like, this was not necessary at all. And then the other scene, which I know that you have some thoughts on, is the kind of, the, the voyage scene. So instead of like showing, you know, essentially a, a montage time lapse of her travels, they do, but they, it turns into a, like an old 1900s early silent film. And it's in mm-hmm. black and white and it's a little choppy. And there's a lot of <laughs> that turns into its own little mini experimental film, which also took me out of the picture for a bit where I was like, oh, OK, <laughs> I wasn't expecting this. I thought it was interesting and I thought it was fun, but I definitely want to hear your thoughts. So like that tweet I made, I for some reason, I misremembered it. I remembered when he kissed her in the catacombs. I remember 
it going into like the silent film immediately after instead of it um, mm-hmm. you know returning back from the category and like you know all this i'm i'm in love with you i'm absolutely in love with you yeah. <laughs> i thought that was really cool and i don't remember all of the different images that popped up i don't remember it being so absurd i thought like in some ways it came across as a bit silly and mm-hmm. i was reading this criticism recently which i actually kind of disagree with that oh yeah like this is really weird because you know obviously film hadn't been invented yet so like why would why would yeah. this you know even in the character's mind be like like happening but i feel like this film is kind of you know obviously in communication with with time with you know uh-huh. like the past and the present as far as just being a woman so i think that's kind of okay i think it is a really unique and artistic flourish that i liked i just don't know that i would have included her eating john malkovich's mouth saying i'm absolutely in love with you (laughs) and then at the end at the very end of the scene where i guess she's in egypt there's like this little like chord that's kind of like humorous and she passes it out i'm like why Uh did it just turn to the looney tunes i don't know (laughs) about that jane but you do what you do Yeah, that's all fair. Uh, there's a point that you made that I 100% agree with that she is playing with time. And again, as we said, right from the opening of this film, it's set in the modern times that this film was released, like the 90s. So so she is playing with different areas of time. I, I don't agree with the the criticism that you read that, you know, the film would didn't agree uh, exist then. It's like, yeah. It didn't. So that's the beauty of making art. You can just do what you want. It does. Uh, the film, the film within the film is definitely silly. And I think if I want to be generous about it, I think it's just a reflection of how Isabel is pretty immature. Like she grows into her maturity throughout the film, but she is pretty immature because she doesn't really have to answer to anyone but herself. And she hasn't grown at all at that point and as you said even when Gilbert kisses her she doesn't really know what to do because she's still kind of a child I think that's why she ends up growing a fondness also for Pansy and wanting to be protective of her because she realized what happened to her and that the father is doing that to her and she's already well into it Pansy is like and it would be much harder to get her out of it and she doesn't get her out in the end, unfortunately, because she just wants to please her father and make sure that he's happy. I mean, I don't know how the book ends, mm-hmm. but in the, the ending of this film, she gets out and she goes back to England and uh, because her cousin is dying, the cousin that was in love with her. And mm-hmm. as you know, of the time, cousins used yeah. to be in love with each other. So... <laughs> We were able to forgive that, I guess. But then it's one of our older suitors. I believe it was the, the Vigo character comes and yeah, they kiss and there's that nice, you know, 360 around them. And you're like, oh, is this going to end with a romance? But then she runs away again, like she does at the beginning. And it ends with uh-huh. her just, you know, at the front of the door being like, no, I'm still running. How do you feel about that? I don't know how to feel about it because... You know, when I rewatched this, I was so hoping for there to be like a turn with her because I feel like it starts with her just kind of sad about suitors and it ends with her sad about suitors. And it's realistic. (laughs) But at the same time, I'm just like, come on, like, where is the independent woman here? I don't know, uh, because that kiss, you know, she's she's constantly like i don't want this get away from me i don't want you and but then she's into it but then she's yeah. running away too so it's not really romantic as at least i don't interpret it to be romantic you know maybe internally she does but outside she's saying i don't want this and it's the same thing with when gilbert kisses her in, in the catacombs she does not want it she vocalizes that but yeah. it's also a moment of like her blossoming you know obviously she's going on these travels and all she can think about is that kiss and all she can think about is oh i'm absolutely in love with you <laughs> and, mm. and i i don't know what the film is trying to say about that because it's kind of framed as 
it being this wonderful thing, you know, in, in the opening when they're talking about kisses. But mm-hmm. it's really sad, you know, she got put in this position because uh, the time woman's uh, sexuality was so repressed. And so she has this one kiss and then she ends up marrying this man who's just so abusive to her. And he yeah. has to witness how she's ab- he's abusing her daughter and, and trying to get her to do it along with him. It's definitely sad. That's that's how I read it, too. I also didn't read the kiss as romantic, at least from her side. Because I think she's just like, maybe in the moment, got swept away, but then quickly realized, oh, no, I don't want this. You know, remember, and then she runs away. I do find it's interesting that it ends there because... You know, what are we trying to say about it? You know, what's the end game? Like, what happens next? Yeah. Is she just going to continue running away her whole life? Which is, I don't know. Like, I don't know what happens with that character. I feel like I don't know how much she grew from that experience with Gilbert. Will she fall into another one? And who's to say in the novel, maybe it's very clear that she will never get into this situation again. In the film, I don't know that I believe that she wouldn't maybe fall for another bad situation. Hopefully not, but I don't know how much she actually fully learned. And I just realized like there's a third kiss at the end, which is her kissing her dying cousin, which was mm. so disgusting to me because he had tuberculosis <laughs> and she was crying and had snot and tears all over her face. <laughs> but um, And they were cousins. So maybe that's what the opening was referring to, that kiss between somebody who actually cared for her and mm. allowed her to be able to live this wealthy, independent life. Then he died. That's a rough death right there. That 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 relationship was interesting too because this man went to great lengths to make sure that she got this money and then she just kind of left and didn't really care about him <laughs> until he was dying so mm-hmm. that's unfortunate but at least he i guess kind of did a good deed or he made it worse for her for having that money you know she definitely wouldn't have met gilbert if she hadn't had the money right are there any other parts of the story that we haven't chatted about that you want to talk about? Yeah. So I, when I was watching this, rewatching it, so her, she's introduced to Madame Merle. She's in their family home. She's playing the piano. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, that's interesting because Jim Campy made the piano. Mm-hmm. And I watched it to figure out if there was some sort of connection. I don't know if this is like a proper reading of the piano, but I feel like in that film, along with how we're introduced to Madame Merle here, the piano kind of kind of represents like a woman's liberty. You know, she talks about like I have these ambitions, and it's kind mm-hmm. of implied like she wanted to be a musician, but it didn't happen. And she's playing this song by Schubert, and later on, after uh, Shelley Duvall's character reveals to Isabel. You know, like, this is how they're related and they were plotting against you. She speaks to Madame Merle, or Madame Merle, rather, she speaks to her. And that same Schubert song is playing again, which I thought was a really clever choice. Yeah, I really liked, I really liked her character. I hadn't caught what the the song was playing again. That's really interesting. I do love the analysis of the the piano being like kind of a symbol of their liberation and their their freedom because it's something that they can do on their own and it's for them. Uh, it's definitely in the piano. It, that's for sure what it is for that character. That's what she feels most comfortable doing and she feels the happiest and she it's like, I can do this on my own. I don't need anyone to help me do it. Uh, and this is for me. And I think that's the same with the Hershey character, uh, Madame Merle. And I think that's why I think she's so far removed from that now, because it's not something that's a big part of her life other than just like as a hobby. And I think because she was never able to achieve the full goals that she had, that she, I don't know, seems to want to achieve whatever goals she can get in any sort of way which it will never make her as happy as being a pianist would have been that's really sad now that i think about it even in the power of the dog kirsten dunn's character piano is a big part of her her character too so i have to assume that jane campion 
plays a piano and that's a big part of her life. Right. Well. <laughs> I was like, about to ask if you knew that. <laughs> coming up. I haven't read anything about it, but I have to assume it must be like a thing in her life why it keeps coming up, which is very sweet. I think that's a really sweet thing to have in a lot of your films, you know, someone mm-hmm. who plays a piano. That I really liked um Gilbert Osmond. Um I liked the the character and um mm-hmm. how it was portrayed by John Malkovich. I thought it was interesting that they cast him. Um, I wonder if almost it was because of Dangerous Liaisons. You know, I feel like he plays a mm. similar character there as well. I don't know. I just loved it. <laughs> I, I loved the the dialogue between him and Madame Merle. I don't know. I just love terrible characters and, and <laughs> in the way that I just love examining them. Yeah. And I just think he plays it really well. Uh, it actually, as you were talking, it kind of reminded me of the, the movie the whole dynamic between him and Pansy kind of reminded me of that movie that you introduced me to, The Sweet Smell of Success. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of reminded me of Burt Lancaster's character. John Malkovich is great. It's been, it had been a while since I'd seen a John Malkovich movie. And I was watching an interview with him about this. And the interviewer asked him, kind of in a joking way, would you want to be friends with your character? And he's like, absolutely not. He didn't even hesitate. He's like, absolutely not. He's like a really rotten guy. What makes him more rotten is the fact that it's not like he does things that he doesn't realize are bad. He's doing with like full consciousness of how rotten he is and doesn't care and is trying to make other people run. So it's just another level of just evil within this character. But he seems so calm and demure on the outside. And I think that's that that's why he's perfect that's what attracted her to him yeah yeah he's just like he seems so calm and chill and relaxed but then there is that anger there and when it comes out Mm -hmm. it's it's violent because he does get physically violent with her at some point during the film so good casting on on that part yeah i can't get out of my head that line delivery of go anywhere do anything be triumphant (laughs) (laughs) And that's just like what won her over. <laughs> Truly, honestly, when I was watching it before he turned like really evil, I was like, uh, I feel like he could win me yeah. over too, to be honest. I'd be like, yeah, okay. Like, I kind of get you, girl, until I don't. Well, so I think we touch upon Portrait of a Lady as far as much as we can. It's like, it's a, obviously a, a very complex story. I am interested to finally read the book and see. And then hopefully revisit the film so I can get a better understanding of it. But I still very much enjoyed the film. When you do finish the book, let me know uh, what you think. Okay. We can have you on our podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, please. Oh, my God. There you go. I definitely have a copy of it somewhere, but I'm sure it's it's obviously really easy to find classics anywhere. So I'll, I'll go grab a copy. But... If you're ready to move to the last portion of the show and credits, I know at this point you said you've seen a couple Campion films. So I guess out of the two, if you were to recommend a film to someone to watch, which one of the two do you think that you would get them to watch first? I know everybody loves the piano (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I've only seen it recently, so I don't really feel like I'm a fair judge, but I really like this film way more. (laughs) And um, I really enjoyed Top of the Lake. It's not a film by her, but Mm -hmm. it is a show. And um, I love Elizabeth Elizabeth Moss as an actress. Um, I think she's really great. And it's I think it's on Hulu. I think Holly Hunter is in it as well. Uh, It's a really interesting kind of kind of a procedural show. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I've only heard good things about it. So. I need to get around to that because I'm really bad with TV. But I know that she there's two series and I'm pretty sure she directed like the first season altogether. I don't know if she directed right. the second I don't one, know but she if definitely she did the second one. But her daughter yeah. stars in the second one. So that's oh, OK. I have not heard good things about the second season. So oh, okay. watch it. <laughs> Awkward. That's interesting. OK. Yeah, I think it's interesting because at this point now, I've probably seen almost everything, especially with um, this series. I've just been catching up on a couple of stragglers I hadn't seen. But I think I would probably still recommend The Piano as the starter off because then you can go either way in terms of camping because you can go 
with Portrait of a Lady Root and Bright Star and those period pieces, or you can go for her more like modern films that are definitely more abrasive and hardcore, like uh, Holy Smoke or In the Cut, which I definitely wouldn't recommend as first watches uh, of Campion. They're great, but they might make you uneasy a bit. So the piano is like similar to this. I think it's digestible to watch. Oh, you think this is digestible? I think the piano is more digestible. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Than this one, Uh, that's why I would recommend that one first, and then you could go to this one, uh, Portrait of a Lady. I I would recommend. I think that you really like Bright Star. I was just about to say I really want to see that one. I don't know why I haven't yet. Yeah, I think it's very. Even if you hadn't told me you liked Portrait of a Lady, just knowing you, I think that Bright Star would be up your alley. And I watched it for the first time. For this series, it had been on my list for years and years. And I just was like, oh my God, this is this is the one. Honestly, I would maybe now that I'm talking about it, maybe that would be the one I'd recommend. It's really, really good. Oh my God. I think you'll love it. I'd be shocked if you didn't. I won't judge okay. you, but <laughs> like I think you'll <laughs> love it a lot. Okay. Well, double bill question. This is a period piece. Um, I don't know if you're gonna go that route with the double bill, if you're gonna go thematically or or whatever way, but what film or films would you pair this one with? And what's the reasoning? Uh, yeah, I don't know why, but I just automatically just thought of a period movie. I kind of feel dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could have no, thought I, of something. I did too. But yeah, I just thought about, you know, because of the, you know, the sexual repression themes and just the period vibes, uh, probably like a Merchant Ivory, like a, um, a Room of a View. I don't know. Oh, that okay. Was just the yeah. Thing that I thought of. I like that one a lot. What about you? Yeah, I went period for all three that I picked. The first one I thought of just because when I was watching it, I kind of was like, "Oh, I really want to watch The Age of Innocence after this mm-hmm. again because yeah. I love that. It's definitely one of my favorite Scorsese ones." So, and then we've got like you know, Love Triangle in that one. In Portrait of a Lady, mm-hmm. it's, it's not even a triangle. It's like a, I don't know what how many All these men just to, want her. Yeah, <laughs> to whatever shape you want to bring up. But there's that. And then another one, if I wanted to go thematically, period piece of just like a woman who wants to do her own thing, even though she's having trouble doing it and she's having to kind of sneak around and do her own thing was The Earrings of Madame de which is a Max mm-hmm. Office film in 1953. And that's one of my all-time favorite movies. And I think it would be a great pairing to see how it was her character in that versus maybe the Isabel Archer in this film was written better because you can see the independence that she does gain and you can see the growth that she goes through, the ups and downs that she goes through as well. And the last one is similar thematically of a woman who has to make her own decisions because she's coming from money and she's like is this person with me for or me or for the money and this is the heiress william wyler uh 1949 also one of my all-time favorite movies it's just olivia de Havilland who is supposed to be ugly in this movie (laughs) so her (laughs) character is supposed to be ugly uh but she comes from money and she doesn't know if Montgomery Cliff loves her or if he loves her money. And we as the audience also don't know. So mm. uh, I think it make great pairings with these to show how it can be done. I don't want to say better, but just in a different way. And they're a lot less ambiguous than the portrait of a lady, lady are. Okay. They're definitely more straightforward. Uh, the ending, I guess, of the heiress or the intentions are a little ambiguous, but they're not like... There, you can still. It's up to the audience to make that decision, essentially, as opposed to this, with where you're like, I don't know what's going on with <laughs> this, you know, the ending or the character motivation. So yeah, I picked those three. I'm sorry, you I know. just thought of two others. No, please, please. I'm always down to hear okay. more. Because you got me thinking, Gaslight. I feel mm. is a good one too, just because the whole, you know, is he an abusive husband or yeah. Is she just a weak woman? And then also I thought of My Brilliant Career, which is the Jillian Armstrong Okay. Film. I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, it's really good. You'd like it. And I think it's Australian as well, or maybe it's from New Zealand. 
Um, okay. It's just uh, this woman played by Judy Davis and her mother and father are just extremely poor. But I think she has like an aunt or something she goes to live with. And Sam Neill is kind of like her love interest. She wants okay. to be a writer. She wants to be independent. And uh, it's kind of this thing of, oh, is she going to get with Sam Neill, who is from like uh, a wealthy background, but I don't think he has like a sort of inheritance. Is she going to like get with mm. him and then maybe, you know, she'll end up like her parents and they'll be in love, but struggling yeah. or is she going to pursue her own career ambitions of being a writer and she's got this like frizzy red hair just like uh mm, yeah um, <laughs> nicole at the beginning and it just made me think of that no that's been on my list for a while and i didn't realize it was judy davis who started it and like that description really makes me want to bump it up the watch list and obviously i love sam neil also so i definitely gotta watch that i'm glad that you mentioned <laughs> i don't know how i completely forgot to mention it this whole time nicole's hair I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> is it like, I mean, it wasn't even bad. I was just like, I was not expecting this level of curls. Like, she and I had the same curl pattern. <laughs> I was not expecting that. It's a lot, um, but she looks great, as she always does. But, well, that was the portrait of a lady. I don't remember what I watched it on. If I maybe had a digital copy of it and how widely available it is in North America, but. Highly recommend use your libraries. They definitely have a DVD copy of it somewhere. And if you haven't already watched it or if you want to rewatch it, or maybe you just want to go read the book because that's definitely <laughs> available for everyone. But Jamila, thank you so much for coming back on and chatting with me at this film. Yeah, thank you. This is great. <laughs> Seeing Faces in Movies is an official podcast of the Royal Film Club. It's hosted and edited by Felicia Maroney with intro music by Lamar Walker. If you like what you heard, let us know at seeingfacesinmovies.com or send us an email at seeingfacesinmovies at gmail.com. And while you're at it, please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcast. And stay tuned for our next episode on the piano. <laughs> <laughs>